Welcome to the message podcast for Church of the Nazarene. We invite you to subscribe for updates and new episodes. You can also search for our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and TuneIn. Make sure you join us each Sunday at 9 a.m. on Facebook Live. Our in-person service times are 9 and 10.30 a.m. We have a campus near Harrisonburg at 1871 Boyers Road and a new campus in East Rockingham at 414 Southeast Side Highway in Elkton. In addition, at our Harrisonburg campus, we have a Spanish campus that meets on Sundays at 11.45 a.m. Check out our website, cotnaz.org, for more information. How are we doing, church? Good morning. All right. Y'all might be slightly more awake than first service. I couldn't tell whether first service was in shock because I showed up in a suit or whether they were asleep. But if you're new or visiting with us today, like this is, this is not a normal giddy-up for me. This is actually an experiment. Uh, because commentary commenced on my wardrobe choice today as I was like descending the stairs of my own home, okay? (laughs) Because I wanted to just see, I I had a thought that maybe we draw conclusions, we make judgments, we might even make assumptions like, is there, you have to conduct a funeral later uh, because you wore a suit. We're always observing and we're always making assessments and assumptions off of what we see on the exterior of people. And today, I got lots of fun and good commentary on wearing a suit to church. And it's been great, but it has shown that we are paying attention. We are receiving it and processing what we see on the outside, on the exterior of people that we encounter day in and day out. Now, I, we must look at this and say, yeah, there, there's going to be times when we need to do this. Like, if you're looking for a police officer, you, you want to know what they look like. Or if you need a fireman, you want to know what they look like. But within that, would we be honest enough to, and ask a question, are our judgments always that pure-intentioned? Or are we in danger, perhaps, of making judgments or trying to categorize people also what we have seen? Have you ever been wrong about your observations? Have you ever been wrong about your observations? Maybe you ever thought that just because someone has more gray hair than you or has more hair than you, period, that they are younger or older than you are. Have you ever bumped into someone and you perceive by maybe their outward appearance that you should greet them in Spanish? Buenos dias. And they look at you like, I don't speak Spanish. Have you ever had a wrong first impression? Risky example here, but I think everybody will resound that you just don't do this. Have you ever asked a young lady how far along she is in her pregnancy only to learn she's not expecting? Right? Mortal failure, right? Your assumptions might be incorrect. There was a a time in our not-so-distant past where we may have looked at someone that expressed themselves with tattoos and thought that we could discern their spiritual condition based off of an outward appearance. Our outward assessments, our judgments are not always correct. They seldom tell the whole story of what that person is going through, what their life is about, but yet we assign value to those things. We categorize people by the things we see day in and day out. We're trying to fit people into categories that we ourselves can deal with because we don't always know what to do with what we see. While there is good information that we should glean from outward appearances, as we dive into our text today, we're going to see that there's also a thin line, there's a draw to danger that our observations might have prejudice behind them. 
that we might make assumptions or intentions about people that we were never intended to based off of our outward appearances. James is going to warn us about that today in our text. I welcome you back to our extended teaching series through the book of James. As a church, we were several weeks deep in this study, and we have come through the balance of chapter 1, and we're going to dive into James chapter 2, uh, the first 13 verses today. And even though we're beginning a new chapter, James is carrying forward one thought, one linear movement from chapter 1, and that's that we are to be doers of the word, not merely hearers. We're not just to hear sermons. We're not just to memorize Scripture. Those, those things are good. They have their place. He's, he's pro- challenging and proposing that if, if what we hear and what we know doesn't transcend into our everyday lives, that we're in danger. We're in danger of, of miscalculating or even misunderstanding our true spiritual status before the Lord, our true spiritual condition before the Lord. James challenges us that we're not just to read the Word. We're to live the word. As we came to the end of chapter 1 this past week, James gave us three tests, if you will, three different things that he says must be true if we're truly going to be genuine, if we're going to be genuine followers of Jesus. He pointed out three things that he said must be true of our lives. He said we must keep a tight rein on our tongues. We must guard our speech. We must speak redemption rather than destruction. We must keep a tight rein on our tongues. Secondly, he said we must care for those who are vulnerable, those who are needy. We must live compassionately if our faith is to be true. Finally, he said we must live holy lives. We must not give in to the world's ways, the world's code of conduct even, and how we should live. We are to live unspotted from the world and following in pursuit of Christ Jesus. While these are certainly not the only three things that ought to be affected by our faith, by the implementation of the word into our lives, these are really good tests for us even today. And and if if a tight rein on your tongue and caring for the vulnerable and living a holy life were a pop quiz today, how would you be doing? How's your faith? Would you err on the side of, yeah, being a doer? Or would we have to have a moment's transparency, say, "I, I got some work to do in my faith? James is challenging us to be doers of the word. As we move into today's teaching text, James is going to expand this idea beyond just our conduct, and he's going to expand this idea of being a doer of the word into our relationships and our interactions with other people. Genuine faith, he says, will always see others as God sees them. Be doers of the word. As much space as James devotes to this teaching, he devotes 13 verses, which for his rapid-fire style is a pretty good portion of Scripture. We're assuming that this was a real problem in the original audience that he was writing to, that they really had a, a habit, if you will, of discerning between people based off of outward appearances. And so he gives great care in, in instructing them to change their perspective for God's perspective, to look differently, to live differently So as we embark on our text today, may we be open to the leading of the Lord of how we might need to live differently in light of the word, in light of the truth, how we might need new perspectives as we interact with people every day. Would you pray with me today? Father, we come before you grateful that you are here, Lord, that you are among us. 
Lord, I pray that as we dive into the Word today that we would have open eyes and open ears and open hearts to be receptive to your leading. Lord, your grace calling us forward in your likeness. Lord, we don't want to merely hear the Word. We want to be doers today. We want to live your love through our lives. God, will you help us? Will you search us today, Lord, as we journey through the Scriptures? And it's in your name we pray. Amen and amen. If you would turn with me to James chapter 2, we're going to pick up in verse 1 for our teaching text today. And it's good. if you've been journeying with us through this, you know we would normally read the whole scripture at the front and then begin to unpack it. But due to the length today, we're going to read a couple verses and then pause to study as we journey through. So it'll be a little bit different flavor, but I think you'll see once we get into it how it goes along. So we're going to read uh, verses 1 through 4 as we begin. It says, my brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but you say to the poor man, you stand there or you sit On the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? At some level, if we're honest, doesn't this seem unavoidable? Doesn't this seem unavoidable not to make discernments and categorizations off of what we see? It's it's how our daily experience operates, right? We'll always be gathering information. We're always going to be discerning what, what we see and we've Demonstrated that a little bit with just a suit and a couple laughs this morning. We're always thinking beyond what we see. We're trying to think of things that may not have even been said yet. But James says we're not to use that information to play favorites with people, to discriminate or to discern between them. James, again, is calling Christians to attention for this teaching because it would be easy to think, oh, man, I'm glad he's talking about those in the world. No, no, this, this was addressed to those who profess Christ, those who love Jesus. And he's saying we need to be specifically on guard that this is not happening, that our faith is manifesting itself in how we view the world. And so we cannot back away from this and merely think that it might be for someone else today. It's for the church. And James says that as believers, we're not to show favoritism. And and this idea of favoritism or partiality might be the word there in your translation this morning. It, It literally means to judge by outward appearance or treat someone favorably because of how they appear, how they look. All, in reality, are equal in the eyes of God, and so they should be in the eyes of those who love Jesus. James is going to go forward in, in this text to, to use this idea of, uh, and highlight through an example of social status. He's going to use this idea of not showing favoritism to tell a story, to give us handles. Commentator Douglas Moo notes that this word for favoritism here is, is, is really plural. And so what he's done there is he's opened the door. It's not just about social status. It's a prohibition on any discernment of age or race or bodybuilder, any of those things. We're not to show partiality based on any exterior look, any exterior difference. We're not to show partiality. Time and time again throughout the scriptures, God has has shown that he's no respecter of persons. All are called by grace and mercy to his throne. Paul says plainly in Romans 2 verse 11, he says, God does not show favoritism. I would conclude there, therefore we shouldn't either. 
James moves from this idea of favoritism, and he gives an example that, that's a very practical way for us to even see, and it may have even been something happening within that local church that he was writing to. So he sets up this story where a rich person wearing nice clothing walks in, and they're given a good seat, and I don't know if that would have been the back seat or the front seat, because the back fills up faster, but anyway, they, they give this person preferential treatment, and yet the person who comes in, and, and maybe their work clothes, or they got a few holes in their jeans, they're basically told to sit on the floor and observe. So let's bring this into 2021 for a moment. Would you imagine with me that a limousine has just pulled up to the front door there, and, and the door flies open, and the first person that steps out is Dale Earnhardt Jr. Woo, glory, Dale, right? We would be automatically drawn to this person because of their status, because of who they are, because of our fan uh, nature of NASCAR even. Well, after Dale, out steps Michael Jordan. Woo, right? The goat. Well, then after Michael, here comes Taylor Swift. Man, she can sing, right? Well, after Taylor, here comes Oprah. So this limousine has just dumped out everybody that we would know as famous and, and high to do. And what's going to happen? What would happen? We'd be pulling our phones going, can I have a selfie? Can we take a picture? Can I have your autograph? We would be moving and gravitating towards these individuals because of their status, because of their fame even. Meanwhile, right behind them might be our brother Thomas Vargo who was running two minutes late that day and, and he can't get past the mob to get a seat because we have so focused on those who we perceive to be high and worthy of our attention. Now, friends, I understand this is an exaggerated example this morning, but, but James is using this to show that there is something transpiring on a heart and mind level when we do that, that there's something more than just, oh, celebrity status, like there's something, a transaction, if you will, even going on. James poses the question, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? James says that when we play favorites based off of outward appearances, we've made a moral mistake. The word for discriminated here, I believe, helps us unpack this another layer. It's as if we're peeling an onion this morning. Now, discrimination is to distinguish, to make distinctions, and we see that within our text. That's what's taken place. But the original language here also carries the idea of doubting or wavering. Doubting or wavering. And James has already used this root word in, in chapter 1, verse 6, to warn Christians about being double-minded. Do you remember that teaching? He was warning us to have a single focus on Jesus, not to be wavering in our faith and our love for our neighbor. And he picks that idea up here again. And so his point is, he's trying to show that when we show favoritism, we're exhibiting a wavering heart, a divided heart. Francis Chan, when he's speaking on this topic or this text, he says, at the core of the matter, we are people who want something from other people. At the core of the matter, we are people who want something from other people. So, so what we have here then is a wavering within our hearts between what we can get for someone or what we think of someone and what God sees in them and what value he sees in their life. So rather than seeing God's eternal value and seeing his eternal love for people, we run the risk of only seeing the potential for our benefit or our gain. And I'm going to be honest, friends, it's easy at this point in the text and this point to message to just go, glad I don't do this. Right? Because this makes us uncomfortable to think that this might be in our lives. To just think, man, I hope, I hope brother or sister over there is listening. We all do this. 
We all do this. Let, let's go to the grocery store for a minute. You got your cart full of goodies, uh, Walmart will say, and you're looking for a cash register. Who are you looking at? How are you sizing up the cashier that's going to get you out of there the fastest? Right? We might pull up to the first line and you see this young person, you go, ah, oh, man, they, it looks like they just got out of bed, might have partied too hard last night. Well, then you go on down the line and, oh, man, grandma's not going to get this done very fast either. So we go on down the line and we find someone that, oh, man, I don't know that they're going to speak my language. That could be awkward. I just forget it. Let me go do self-checkout. We have sized people up, if you will, divided into categories to achieve a purpose. What about at the lunch table? Whether it's at school or at work, how do you discern, how do you decide what's going through your mind as you decide where you're going to sit that day? What are you really thinking? What about when it comes time to stand up for that person at work or at school or on the sports team that's getting belittled, that's getting picked on? Are are we going to step out and stick our neck out? Have we judged them worthy of our neck being out there in favor of them? Are we going to pull back and go, man, this is not me to get into? I don't want to get sucked into this. What about when you're riding down the road and you see that political sign in someone's yard that's not your party? Okay, what, what, what's going on in our minds? What goes on in your minds when you see that? James says, and he's warning us here, that in those everyday small ways of showing partiality, we are in danger of actually becoming judges with evil intentions. We trade God's value of people for what they mean to us or what they might be able to do for us. We're in danger of trading God's interest in that person for our own agenda by showing partiality, favoritism. Let's pick back up in our text today in verse 5. He says, listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? When we play favorites with a person that's created in God's image, we are exchanging his interests for our own. James suggests that Christians are not to despise the poor or the oppressed because it's contrary to his very nature, his very loving heart. Throughout the scriptures, we see that God has a special discerning eye, an eye longing for those who are oppressed, those who are poor. And so as Christians, we're to have his heart for those people in the world, for those that the world might otherwise label less than, we're supposed to go after because that's the heart of the Father. When those who are called by the name Christians show disregard for the poor, who show disregard for those who are oppressed, we are misrepresenting the heart and the will of Father God in our world. Not only that, James is implying that sometimes our prejudice judgment will sometimes backfire on us, as we see in verse 6. He reminds us that those who are in Christ Jesus are are considered rich. No matter how poor material possessions they are, they now possess the greatest riches in that in Christ Jesus, and they, they possess that new life now, and forever they will be with the king. They are truly rich. 
And it's through the eyes of the Spirit that James is calling us to view everyone. Let that be our discernment is through the spiritual lens, not what we see in suits or rags. And James, as he, as he progresses through the scriptures, he doesn't want us to miss this because it's easy to just think it's not such a big deal because it's, it's the operating system of our world, right? We might just think that's the way it is. But as we dive into verse 8 through 11, he, he reads what, what sounds like a formal indictment. Let's, let's, let's pick up in verse 8. He says, if you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But... But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, you shall not commit adultery, also said, you shall not murder. And if you do not commit adultery, but you do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. So, so far, James has shown us that favoritism is wrong because it's opposed to God's character and to his actions, his intentions in the world. But we see here that it's opposed to the law of love that says, love your neighbor as yourself. Throughout the New Testament, Jesus would sum up the entire law by saying, love the Lord God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So within this text, we see James making a clear distinction that to show partiality is to break the commandment of loving our neighbor. He says, if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. And, and it's easy to, we might be tempted to think that it's not such a big deal. That, that other person doesn't even know what I think about them. It's no big deal. It's just the way things are. But James cuts across the grain of those excuses and says, no, 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 there are no little laws. Everyone is important. He doesn't want us to shrug this off. Because the law, as it's revealed in scriptures, it's not just, not just a list of rules. It's not just that we're missing a mark on one rule. It's that we're going against the nature, the flow of God's love. Therein is the call, the severity that's why James, I believe, calls us and uses the word evil to describe favoritism because it's opposed to God's will and his way and his character in the world. I think James picked up on Jesus' teaching here, echoing the teaching on murder and adultery to emphasize that we can't point to the things that we might be getting right to cover up for the things that we're getting wrong. We can't look at the fact that I'm not an adulterer to justify my mistreatment of the poor. We can't point to the areas that we're doing better to cover for the areas that we're not doing so hot. After he's taken a moment to solidify his teaching on the severity of partiality, James again resumes his very pointed teaching and how we should live in light of this truth. And as we conclude today in verses 12 and 13, he says, Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. James begins here, verse 12, with what's a double imperative. Two things we must do that are critical. And it's to live in a way to call forth a response out of flowing from and out of the life of Christ within us. And this brings us back to his key theme in verse 22, that we're not to be merely hearers of the word, but we're to be doers of the word. We're to live the word as it's revealed in and through our lives. 
to speak and to act here are both in the present tense in the original language. And so we would suggest that it's to be a continual action, a, a continual movement, a continual pattern, an overarching theme of our lives. And this, again, is pointing to that idea that our entire life, not just a moment on Sunday, but our entire life is to be molded after the will and way of Jesus. Every thought, every word should be a reflection of the reality of Christ Jesus in our lives. James wisely reminds us to live in light of the future judgment that is before all of us when we all will stand before the king and have to give an account. What are we going to say? I don't know about you, but as I've studied this and sat in this all week, I can't help but think, Lord, I need mercy. I need grace and mercy every moment of every day because I live as I shouldn't live. I have thoughts and and habits that are contrary to to the word of God. Lord, I need mercy. I need your spirit within me. And James is challenging us. Live in light of that reality. As we so desperately need mercy from the Father, so we should so lavishly give it to those we encounter in our everyday lives. You might think of it as that we're to live as debtors. We're to live as debtors to the one true king. His grace, his mercy. I need to receive mercy. And therefore, I need to give it. James says, live in light of that reality. How would your life be different today? How would your Monday through Saturday, Monday through Sunday, how would that look different today if that was the reality that defined every moment of every day? How would it look different? If our constant posture was that of grace and mercy, what would that change? What would that do to relationships? What would that do to encounters? How would that change us today? What what if we could always see God's interests in people? What if we could always see what he was up to? How would we respond differently? As I have sat in this text this week, I, I, I began at that place of thinking, man, I, I'm whew, glad I don't do that. But as you sit here and you pray and you seek the Lord, he's going to show you. And what I've seen this entire week is my perspective of the world, my perspective of what's going on all around me, my perspective even of what's going on in your life, of what's going on in my life, is like looking through a pinhole in a sheet of paper. I don't have a clue. I need God's perspective to live differently, to see differently, to interact differently, to prioritize differently. I need his grace and his mercy. How might your life look different today? I want to share a clip with you and just see, might it look something like this? That kid, every time I'm pulling out, he's right there. Man, and someone needs to talk to his parents. If they're ever at home. What is up with the traffic today? It's always, every day, this intersection's always crowded. I hate pulling out of here. Let me get some of these dumb roads. 
Oh, there's... Oh. <laughs> okay, so I'm not even here. Right. Great lady. The princess of parking. Oh, sure. Take the spot. Way to be considerate. Oh, are you kidding me? Unbelievable. Oh. Thank you, ma'am. Oh, it's about time. Let's see, what do I want? Uh, yeah, could I add a cookie to that order? Yeah, no problem. Yeah, uh, no problem, only guy in the world. I'm sure you need your cookie. The world, your oyster, and he's serving your cookie. Thanks, sir. Thank you so much. Uh huh. What can I get for you? Uh, yeah, I'll have a tall decaf macchiato. Yeah, sure, no problem. Three eighty-five. And uh, it might take a few minutes here. We've got quite a line, obviously. And thanks for your patience. Great. Yeah, <laughs> great. Great for me. Waiting again. Unbelievable. What? 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 supposed to do how can I how can I do anything about that can I even help with that I don't your coffee sir oh. I, I can't I can't take this anymore I gotta get out of here hey what How would your life look different today? How would your life look different if the only lens we viewed anyone through was that of Jesus? That we wouldn't begin to categorize by suits or rags or political agendas or age or what have you, but we would just be resolutely sure to see through the eyes of Jesus. What would change today?
how would that transform your everyday at work? How would that transform that family reunion? How would that transform your days at school? How would that transform that difficult place that you're journeying through right now? If we just gave ourselves to see Jesus through those things. Friends, I, I know no other way to do what James is calling us to do than just to beg for mercy. Because I can't pull that off. Because I, I'm going to naturally default to categories that I can put labels on, that I can deal with. I need transformation. And so friends, this is not just to beat you up and say, go live different. No, this is an invitation to transformation in Christ Jesus, to live differently, to view your world differently. Would you pray with me this morning? Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you, Father, that we, you don't look at the outward appearance. God, that you are beckoning your provenient graces, calling us all to the foot of the cross, Lord. That we would be found forgiven and redeemed by Christ Jesus, Lord. That's where we need to start. And Lord, as your life is birthed in us, will you so transform us that we live only viewing our world through your lens. Lord, that of the grand redemption narrative that you are about. Lord, transform our minds, our eyes, our hearts, Lord, to see as you see. Lord, will you impress upon our hearts those places where it might be sneaking up on us, Lord? Will you show us? And may we be quick to ask for forgiveness. Quick to repent from those places that you reveal. God, may we respond in humility. May we live differently today. Transform. It's only you can. It's in your name. Thank you so much for listening today. You can email us at info at cotnaz.org for any questions about our church. When you're done listening, please subscribe to this channel for the latest updates and new episodes.